At 9,300 feet above sea level, Quito is the world's highest capital city. It's surrounded by eight active volcanoes, and is about as far as you could get from the center of the Earth. It also sits on top of one of the most diverse biospheres on the planet, the Andean Cloud Forest. In 1979, Ecuador's dictatorship fell apart, giving way to a constitutional democracy. That didn't stop political unrest, however, and several military uprisings, including a presidential kidnapping, kept the country from stabilizing. Political unrest paved a path for rampant corruption, which helped Ecuador's economy spiral out of control until the year 2000, when the country officially dollarized. Despite this history of corruption, the echoes of which can still be felt today, it's said that Quito's historical center is the best preserved among all cities in Latin America, and it really does feel that way. Above all else, Quito was vibrant. On our first day, we were overwhelmed by the city's seemingly insatiable appetite for color and music. Like this couple here, singing under a tree on a busy street corner. This episode of Foreground was produced in partnership with Andrew King and the Between Worlds Project, with music from street performers in Quito. I'm Evan Jacoby. At 7 in the morning, Quito is already bustling. Kids walking to school, street vendors selling baked goods and ice creams, cars weaving through crowded cobblestone streets. Rodrigo picked us up in his minivan. As we began our two-hour drive into the cloud forest, Rodrigo started telling us about his project. So maybe talking a little bit about our project to I say, get um, used to the, the area. And all the, this is a western Quito, part of Quito. This is the Pichincha on, the, on our left. The, our first stop was at the border of the national park. Rodrigo was excited for us to see an example of people living and farming sustainably in harmony with the forest. We walk up to this beautiful vista and he points down below. There's these huge expanses of forest extending out in every direction. And then right beneath us, there's several patches of what appears to be farmland. I asked Rodrigo how he felt about that. The essence of the Biosphere Reserve is to coexist between humans and nature. And that's what is happening here. I mean, you can see it. This is a perfect example. You just do it in a sustainable way to plant in more, maybe more trees and more food for, for wildlife. And they live very well, you know, in balance with nature and they keep all the rest as a forest and obviously they are within a national yeah. park and they cannot expand anymore. Right. You see here, all this forest is native. That's why this place, this reserve national park is called Reserva Geobotanica, Pululagua. Pululagua is a crater. And that's the beauty of this place. Rodrigo started his organization to help create communities like these. He spends his time looking for locals whose livelihoods depend on logging and producing charcoal, a principal energy source in Quito, and teaches them sustainable farming practices, and how to attract wealthy tourists to their eco-lodges, which are kind of like the cloud forest version of a bed and breakfast. We visited one of these communities, a small village called Yumiya. Rodrigo was like a celebrity there. Our first stop? Cheese. One of the first um, needs that they had is about what they can do with the milk, because before they had to take it to town, 
and now what they are doing is is uh, bringing it here to produce the cheese and also yogurt right now so all the people that have small farms and, and cattle that you see here around they bring the milk here and they get their cheese or, or yogurts too for their use and they, they make some good money out of that what rodrigo had helped them build was a fromagerie a place which they and other nearby locals could use to stabilize raw milk by turning it into cheese. This might seem like a simple addition, but for the people who live here, it's become a necessary resource that they heavily depend on. Before it was built, residents had to make the long and expensive journey into other towns, outsourcing the labor and losing a lot of their milk to spoilage. The cheese shop wasn't the only production site Rodrigo helped bring to Yumiya. There were organic gardens, fruit farms, a paper pulp recycling center, and even a small marmalade and jelly factory. Each of these facilities were extremely small. They were built inside of roughly 10 by 15 foot huts, each with a single machine and a person tasked with running it. Inside one of these huts, we met the woman in charge of marmalades and jellies. You want me to translate? Or? Yes, she said that uh, thanks to we helped them establish with with this marmalade uh, uh, jelly production. She's always bragging about this uh, partnership. They have uh, now good products and produce as well. After posing for some pictures, she asked us if we wanted to see her run the machine. With the machine running, the room instantly smelled like the sweetest blackberries you can imagine. Looking outside through the window at the lush mountainside, it was pretty emotional. Yumiya was a village that had burned much of its forest lands a mere 30 years ago. And here it was, teeming with life and sustainable local businesses. Most of the forest was completely regrown, bromeliads poking out of trees and fences, and the people seemed happy and proud of their village. Here's what Rodrigo had to say. The most important, I guess, goal in my life is to, to conserve this and to make it uh, work in a way that when our next generation comes, we know that we will conserve for forever. So that's what it means to me. You might be wondering, like I was, what it takes to turn a goal like that into reality. After the break, Andrew King asked Rodrigo about Makipukuna's increasingly creative fundraising techniques and some of the biggest challenges he continues to face, like corrupt government officials and chasing out the local mob. This episode of Foreground was made possible by American Airlines. With global business comes global responsibility. As the world's largest airline, American is proud to give back to the communities where their team members and customers live and work. Find out more at aa.com slash letgoodtakeflight. After buying some jams and jellies in Yumiya, which were exceptional, we drove to Rodrigo's Eco Lodge, built on the heart of the Makipukuna Reserve. No cars allowed, but we have to. <laughs> some privilege. It boasts several cabins, a campsite, and even a research lab for scientists who study the unique and diverse wildlife of the Andean cloud forest. We arrived just in time for lunch. This is made from the green bananas. 
We gathered with some guests at a picnic table overlooking the cloud forest as the chef served us freshly caught tilapia from the river and, as a treat, whole dried cacao beans for dessert. After we ate, Andrew and Rodrigo started talking. So my, my question for you now is, so you have this land, it's pretty wide, it's a, you have a lot of it. How many acres do you have again? Uh, it's 14,000 right now, almost 15,000. You own 15,000 acres. Yeah. Where do you see it growing within the community? Do you see other Ecuadorians coming to you for advice and, you know, like growing it out to where they can build their own and like work with you more? Where do you see it going? So I think that has made an impact on local people mm -hmm. to see, okay, if these guys are doing this and I having a, a permanent job, this is a good uh, conservation initiative yeah. that is uh, helping save the world, not yeah. only for our region, yeah. but as an example for others. The best way to to show the people what uh, what to do and to guide them is by example. Andrew and I wanted to know, if you're setting out to build a reforestation empire, where do you start? Rodrigo had mentioned some of his fundraising tactics in passing while we were driving. His efforts ranged from befriending environmentally conscious investors with deep pockets in Berkeley, California, to importing and breeding expensive Andalusian horses. Most curious, though, was another method. Let's talk about debt for swap. We talked about that in the car. I want to know more what that means. Yeah. What, is, what does that entail? Uh, in short, the debt for nature swap, it's a financial mechanism that uh, one guy named Tom uh, Lovejoy came up with. The specifics of the strategy get a little complicated, but basically, when developing countries need to generate capital, they can sell debt, often to other nations. Rodrigo used this system to purchase bonds from the Ecuadorian government at extremely low rates. It was value at 11% of the face of the bond. Do you know what I mean? I get what you mean. I get what I thought. 11%. Right. So, with a million dollars, they can purchase almost 11 million dollars of debt. Wow. You know, here's an opportunity. Maybe we can take that and um, $50,000 that the Butler Foundation gave us yep. uh, to buy uh, over half a million dollar debt bond. For swap. Okay. The swap. Ah. Debt for nature swap. Rodrigo would then turn around and use this money to buy land. The Ecuadorian government no longer allows this strategy, but it was extremely effective while it lasted. It allowed Rodrigo to maximize the money he raised, multiplying it tenfold. A lot of the land he purchased was already deforested, but over the years, with help from local workers and international volunteers, they've been able to almost completely restore most of it. But sometimes, unfortunately, restoring the land is only half the battle. People who live in Quito, who are known for stealing, assaulting, or selling stolen goods, come to this area in parts of our reserve. So they say, well, nobody's here. They can squat, they can cut the, the forest, and then they can say the officials, here, this is my land. This is this is a paper which they was, was fake. Yeah. They, they take yeah. advantage of the system that is not working yeah. properly and pay them to speed up the process. Right. And they changed many years ago from saying that they are poor people or they are yeah. uh, harvesting the land and so forth yeah. to now that what they are saying is we are an eco-tourism co-op Wow. That is not looking only to buy and cut the land, yeah. but to conserve and to, to build an ecotourism, a community tourism. So all the things that you saw today in Yunguilla, yeah. they, they claim that no, we're going to do the same. We're going to be good neighbors, but they're not going to do that. They're not. 
they are selling pieces yeah. they are stealing from the their neighbors they are bringing them the worst part rodrigo told us is that they actually sell pieces of the land parts of the makipukuna reserve that they don't own to low-income families in the area who then cut and sell the trees the squatters then collect monthly protection fees from these families it used to be like $30 a month, Yeah. besides the $5,000 or something that they have to right. pay as a down payment. And then if you get behind three months, you're out. If they get behind, they lose everything. Messed up system that is um, taking money from poor people to keep them going. So it keeps stealing, so you're always in debt to them. Basically. Right. You're always like paying always. them back and you're never going to get out of it. So you're going to get right. Paid. Sounds like the mafia. It is. It's local mafia, basically. From Quito. Yeah. That's the reality. Just since you have so much land and just, you know, you can't yeah. serve it. You can't police all of it. So how do you, how do you deal the, with that? How do you police that? The laws and declaring these, uh, requesting the government to declare a protected forest, help us. Okay. But that has been also a way of uh, getting uh, the corruption going. Yeah. Because then the, these guys pay the officials. Oh. So they can leave, uh, leave them wow. alone. Or they can, how you say, when to look to the other, look the other way, the other yeah, way. Yeah. So it has been. A, it's still a big, big, big issue. In the future, Rodrigo hopes to use drone technology and satellites to locate illegal squatters. However, he'll still rely on police and local authorities to enforce Ecuadorian law. In the meantime, Rodrigo continues to fight to grow his preserve. And right now we have grown like this, this tree fern that you see here. Is uh, was brought from the forest, carried here, huh. and planted and carried a lot. Like they brought. <laughs> that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Mostly done by our staff and volunteers. It used to be only pasture. All these areas. As we left Makipukuna, I remembered something that the residents at Yumia kept mentioning. Rodrigo and his team had stepped in to help them when the Ecuadorian government would not. It makes him seem like this incredible outlier. But before founding Makipukuna, Rodrigo lived his life as an insurance salesman for Banco Pacifico. He insists that anyone is able to promote conservation, especially if people band together as a community. And in our current ecological climate, with national parks being threatened in the US and carbon emissions rising ever higher, that might be just what we need. We say, okay, if everybody in Ecuador yeah. can conserve 100 hectares, small piece like a farm. Everybody can save the biodiversity that is left in Ecuador. We can do it. Foreground is me, Evan Jacoby. A million thank yous to Rodrigo Antoneda, Andrew King, Brandon Barter, and the people of EMEA. Find more information, photos, and episode notes at foregroundradio.com. By the way, that 100 hectare goal Rodrigo mentioned is less than half a square mile. If you want to help fund Makipukuna and their mission to preserve the Andean cloud forest, you can visit foregroundradio.com reforest. It'll forward you directly to Rodrigo's donation page.